0: Take a look on back a few decades past to a simpler time to be when your cares were tied to a fun car ride and the next show on TV. So crank on up your boombox jams and flip your feet to. It is high. last time.
1: The 80s are full of awesome rides. You've got the Batmobile, you've got Ecto 1, you've got Night Rider, you've got the A-Team Van. Mm-hmm. There are some sweet rides. What is the coolest thing to ride? And there's only one answer. Dinosaurs. How many cartoons existed in the 80s just to sell toys?
0: Right. And it all
1: came together for one wonderful little flash in the pan, just one season, but one of the coolest toy collections ever Dino Riders. Oh, Dino Riders. Saddle up your velociraptor because we're going into the battle zone that is Dino Riders. Yes.
0: All right, welcome back everyone to 80s High, the podcast that uses our all-powerful step crystal to go back in time to visit one of the raddest decades and eschew our titles of podcasters to become dino-riders. This is 80s High, and I'm Questar. Which makes me Krulos? No, that makes you lad. (laughs) <laughs> no, I did not want to be lad. <laughs> no, God no, please not lad. Not yeah, really. I'm Chris, and I'm Ben. Welcome, everyone. Ben, great to see you again. It's great been forever. To see it, it feels like
1: it's been forever, but it's legitimately been a week. It did feel long. Actually, we saw each other about 24 hours ago.
0: But that's true. That's
1: true. <laughs> but not for the show. Not for uh, the not show. Not for the show. Not for the show. I had a reflection. So in our last episode, I realized I was making a far more than average Batman references. Did you? And I had Batman on the mind, and I, I realized why. I don't know if you saw this news, but it became official. Michael Keaton is going to reprise his Batman role in the next Flash movie. What?
0: Yeah. Very exciting. So DC heard that the next Spider-Man movie is going to have, like, all the incarnations of Spider-Man. Toby yeah. and... Um Andrew oh Garfield. Garfield, thank you. Yes. And so they're like, well, we got to bring Keaton back. We got to. I you know there was a lot of like fan hope that he was going to do a
1: Batman Beyond where he was mm. going to be old Bruce. And then you've got the new Batman that comes in. But uh, I'm pretty stoked that he's going to come back for And I just saw today, not only is he coming back to that 80s property, but it is rumored that he has officially signed his contract for Beetlejuice 2.
0: What? Which would be amazing. Michael Keaton making a comeback. Oh my gosh, they have to get Catherine O'Hara and Wynonna Ryder back. Oh my God. And Gina Davis. They got to get all of the like principals. Oh, and Alec. Don't let's not forget Alec. Yeah, what are they all doing these days? Basically, I want to bring everybody back. I that's bet all they would. I want. I would be shocked if they didn't. It would Sadly, be such a great cast. is no longer with us. Rest in peace. Oh yeah, he that's was right. He such a, a great comedic actor. He was the channeling medium in that. It was so good. Yes,
1: so good. Another. I had another shocking revelation. Oh, okay. On an episode several times ago you got extremely defensive. Some kids might say salty. When I asked about what your prom experience was like, (laughs) but you text me this week
0: that an admission that you actually have attended a prom. Okay. So this is technically true. It wasn't my prom, (laughs) but a friend of mine who graduated like three years after I did, who lived in another state at the time, uh, asked me to go to the prom with her. And so I did. So I technically went to a prom. It just wasn't mine. And I was a junior in college, which sounds crazy, but also uh, I apparently looked like a student teacher at that school and everyone thought she brought a student teacher. So there you have it. That's a little bit of uh, behind the curtains of Chris's <laughs> backstory. So you did go to a high school prom. I
1: did. As a junior in college. That's correct.
0: Like, did that feel comfortable? We all had a good time. You know, a bunch of our friends were there. We all got along. We had fun. We were being goofy. It was, it was a good time. You just blend it in. As a student teacher. (laughs) As as smoothly as time-traveling space flight
1: people would blend in with the prehistoric. As easily, yes. Let's go learn a bit more about this week's topic. Uh, But first... But first... I feel like I hear an electric humming in the air.
0: Yes. Is it the step machine blasting in? No, what's the little thing where they communicate telepathically with each other? Their amplified mental projector. The amp, yeah. So we're going to use... All right. My amp is, you know, starting to pulsate and glow. I think we're getting an announcement telepathically. Let's hear it now.
2: Attention, 80s High. I'm Megan, here to share today's homeroom announcements. The Rulon ant colony in my backyard commands all of us to follow 80s High podcast on Instagram. Today's lunch menu will be prehistoric patties with crunchy curly fries. Prehistoric patties with a bite this good, you might end up the lunch. The noble Valorians would like Andalites to stop stealing their thunder, and for you to join the class of 80s High. These heroes want you to know topics in advance, take sweet surveys, and lend your voice to a future episode. Email 80sHighPodcast at gmail.com to join. That's 80S. The school board would like to remind the equestrian team that due to budgetary constraints, the only allowed activities are playing with trading and collecting my little ponies. So please, leave the riding crops and boots at home. Thank you, and have a Cretaceous day. Go Mogwise!
1: I don't know if your phone is blowing up like mine is right now, but a huge fan of the show is sending audio clips of his memories of Dino Riders right now. Are we getting live tweets? We are getting live tweets of memories, impressions, thoughts about Dino Riders at this very moment. And so I know you're an incredible audio editor, so you can't edit these in while we record. So we're going to have to nicely, smoothly integrate these into the show later. So some of that might sound a little rough and bumpy as we go along. But I have a feeling Gerald, fan of the podcast, is really going to deliver. So we got to make sure these get into the show.
0: Yeah, so we're going to drop some of Gerald's audio clips. He's one of the inspirations of this episode. We'll drop him in throughout. But if you if you hear a rough, rough segue, just know that's why we're going to do our best Because we're really excited to include Gerald's voice on this episode. Look at you using your step machine. Look, people don't know how much time travel happens in editing the show. It's incredible.
1: So good. Well, let's join Questar and go back in time to find out the origins of this 80s property. Let's do it. All right. There's a lot of history to get through. I mean, most of the show is just history lesson. So good. Before I dive into this. Yes. Again, our topic this week is Dino Riders. Would you like to introduce our listeners to just what is Dino Riders?
0: Sure. Dino Riders is a cartoon. It came out in 1987. Has a, a 14 episode run, let's call it. Well, we'll we can talk more yeah, about we'll the 14th episode, but effectively a 13th with a 14th episode. In this, there are the Valorans. They're space traveling in a little ship, and they're being attacked by the Rulons, the evil Rulons, who are trying to destroy them. The Valorans, who are humans, they have this magical step crystal, which allows them to travel through time. I guess the Rulons, ta-da, the Rulons have been destroying them. And the Rulons get him in a tractor beam. And then the Valorans are like, hey, we got to escape. So they hit the step crystal to go through time. And it ends up pulling the Rulon leadership, Emperor Krulis' ship, with them. And they go back to the dinosaur period of Earth. Uh, I don't know if they say exactly what era it is. They don't. Crustaceous? I mean. Crustaceous? Like where all the shrimp and lobsters were living together? (laughs) You know the
1: stuff. Say the words. Well, okay, They don't say in the cartoon. but
0: Mesolithic. The Mesozoic
1: has the Triassic, the Jurassic, and the Cretaceous periods within it. Okay, thank
0: you. And it's probably (laughs) one of those? Probably. So we either assume that they are in orbit of Earth and get pulled back, or it is technically a space-time traveler, Mm. which allows them to travel not only in space, but in time. So they're back in this period, and the Valorans are trying to survive. And so they telepathically, through these amps that we mentioned, God, this is a long description. They they telepathically communicate with the dinosaurs and befriend them, because they talk to them. And they're like, hey, help us out. And the dinosaurs are like, totally cool. We're completely on board with all your crazy space stuff. Let's do this. Yeah, they're like, let's do it. Like, sure, you can outfit us with weapons and harnesses, and we'll help you build a little, you know, prehistoric... Environment to live in. Right. And the Rulons have a different tactic. They decide to enslave dinosaurs with brain boxes. Yeah. Basically, they put them on their heads and uh, the dinosaurs have to do their bidding. Their eyes also turn red. That's a fun little uh, side oh, effect. Yeah. Right. And uh, in the words of Emperor Krulos, they're going to destroy the Valorans and take the Step Crystal so that they can go back to the future and murder the rest of the Valorans. It was perfect. That was way too much. That was way too much. No, it's okay. For this cartoon.
1: And this cartoon, a very important
0: detail, solely
1: existed to promote a very cool line of toys, the Dino Rider toys.
0: Let's take our step crystals back in time to our episode on 80s classic sweet treats. Right. Where we talk about the great marketing deregulation of 1980, which basically all the rules in place for how you could promote products to young people. Vanished. Vanished. The synopsis is a three hundred percent increase in cartoons that had licensed characters solely for the purpose of selling toys, junk food, fast food, breakfast cereals. You name it. These were twenty-two minute commercials to sell those products, and this no exception. No exception. This is definitely like a very blatant example of this practice.
1: So let's talk, Let's learn about where Dino Riders came from. Uh, you, know, I invented this thing I like to call the Golden Triangle of Dino Riders. What are the three elements that make this show what it is? And that is people riding dinosaurs shooting lasers. You've got me already. So let's do some history. When did people start riding animals? Uh, increasing amount of evidence <laughs> supports a hypothesis that horses were domesticated in the Eurasian steppes approximately 3500 BC. All right. And that Botai settlements in the Akmola province of Kazakhstan are the location of the earliest domestication of the horse. So that's when we're starting to just ride stuff. Second, 1842, the term dinosaur is coined from the Latin mm. term terrible lizard. It's coined by Sir Richard Owen, based on like fossils that are being found, you know, terrible lizard. And we're going to get back to Owen later in the Bone Wars, because that, that is a very exciting chapter in dinosaur history. For okay. Me. And so we've covered people riding, dinosaurs were missing shooting lasers. In 1917, Albert Einstein first described the theory of stimulated emission. And then it wasn't until like almost 30 years later, physicists Charles Towns and Arthur Shallow and others realized that the wavelengths of infrared and optical light, because they were shorter,
0: would be even more powerful tools for spectroscopy. Is LASER also not an acronym? Uh, is LASER an acronym? I think it's like Light Amplification... Okay, well, hold on. I'm going to find it out so I can not sound like a dum-dum. Waiting on pins and needles. So the acronym is light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. This is perfect. Okay. Boom. So these guys are hanging out
1: at Bell Labs. They're talking about shortened down light waves. We could get some power out of this. So by arranging a set of mirrors, one on each end of a device's cavity, they bounce the light back and forth, eliminating the amplification of any beams bouncing in other directions. So in 1958, in December, they published their findings and received a patent for the invention of the laser two years later. The same year, the first working laser was built by Theodore Maiman at Hughes Aircraft Company. Okay. People riding dinosaurs shooting lasers. All right. I wanted to check if Dino Riders really like pioneered this idea of dinosaurs and humans coexisting, like sure. cooperating together. It did not. You've got the 1960 through 1966, The Flintstones.
0: Mm -hmm. a bunch of Mm -hmm.
1: cave people coexisting with animals that are working the appliances around the house how terrible is it that I didn't
0: even think of the Flintstones right the Flintstones holy crap
1: so that that predates this by a good like 28 years for sure as far as pop culture goes and in 1987 premiered a cartoon called Dino Saucers Mm. which has uh, intelligent English speaking for some unknown reason dinosaurs come from space they start working with a group of kids that remind me of like kids who were with Denver the Last Dinosaur or like The Magic School Bus or Captain Planet. Okay. uh, And they work against like an evil faction of dinosaurs that also arrive on this planet. So there's a couple of cartoon examples before that. But where did the idea of Dino Riders come from? I highly recommend anyone who really wants to get into the mythos and see like old sketches and drawings and drafts. There's a great website, uh, www.dinoridersworld.com. It's a fan site. It's also kind of fun to look at because it feels like it's a website that was built in like 1998 and never touched again. Wonderful. Also a great step, like time traveling thing. But it's got inc- it's like the best resource of Dino Rider stuff out there. So you already talked about deregulation. So we've got that out. But there was sort of this age that was happening so transformers came out masters of the universe the he-man line is is this again this idea of the cartoons and toys promoting one another but it was this first time that toy companies were becoming television producers and instead of toys being created from popular kids culture the culture was actually created to sell the toys Mm -hmm. which is crazy so let's get to the idea chris question for you in the hot seat where do you do your best thinking go the shower the shower well, you and the inventor of dino riders have more in common than just loving to ride dinosaurs. hmm So around 1987, the president of Tyco, which later was acquired by Mattel, but back then you had Tyco toys. So the president tells Jim Alley, vice president of marketing, that he could work on anything at Tyco except action figures. And you know this, like any good kid, like when someone tells you not to do something, like if I I'm take, making
0: action figures, buddy. I'm exactly. making all the action
1: figures. <laughs> it's, it's all he could think about. He's like scribbling on napkins, just action figure ideas. Well, because
0: I think at this time, I don't think Tyco was making action figures. I think they were making like the the slotted car race tracks, like yeah, the buildable right. tracks and stuff like that. I don't think at this time they actually had anything uh, like that. Jim, it's like 7 a.m.
1: He's got his loofah. He's playing a little shower radio going on. And he's like, Whoa. Action figures plus dinosaurs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's something there. So he's circling the drain. He talks with Warren Bosch, director of R&D for Tycho. And Bosch is super on board for this. He's like, yes, kids love dinosaurs. The action figures are blowing up with Transformers and He-Man. Let's do this. So he envisions the whole toy line. And he said, you know, adding performance-enhancing accessories to the dinosaurs to increase their natural abilities was Bosch's quote of like, yeah, I'm seeing this vision. Right. The next day, this is all in 24 hours, Bosch is already scribbling out the storyline for dino writers. He's very excited about this idea. Now, Warren, the guy who had the original idea, noted that he had one of his designers do a sculpture for a big presentation to Tyco executive Dick Gray because Dick was, quote, notorious for having no imagination. So they had to do, like, a physical mock-up so he could see the toy to really understand it. Right. Warren hates the sculpture. He's like, this is stupid. It won't sell. This is not good. So very much like uh, Joel Hodgson Mystery Science Theater 3000, he sits up all night sculpting the first Dino Rider. Which turns out to be this like little blonde dude kind of sitting on a missile platform on the back of what I would say looks like a Deinonychus. Now, if you're not a dino nerd, Deinonychus is what like the Velociraptors in Jurassic Park are based on. Mm. Velociraptors in real life are more like the size of like a medium sized dog, like a 60 pound dog. So it looks like a dude on the back of a Deinonychus. Pitch goes well, they get greenlit. So that's where the idea came from. Let's talk about the show. So they bring in some legendary comic book writers, most notable for writing the G.I. Joe series. Uh, Jerry and Carla Conway to come up with the backstory for it. Uh, Jerry has like a super strong sci-fi background. He's published a book, a sci-fi book. He was named a young sci-fi writer to watch by either Time or Newsweek magazine. Actually, like in an interview, his wife couldn't remember. She was like, it was either Time or Newsweek. I don't know. Someone said he was the young sci-fi writer to watch. I don't know. But in that same interview with Sci-Fi, Carla says that boys and girls TV shows in the 80s were still pretty distinct, but her husband and herself wanted to be pioneers in bridging that gap. So mostly because they had a daughter and they wanted more content on TV for their daughter. Mm. So they were trying to make quote unquote boy shows with like action and guns and stuff have more of like a fun edge to feel like safe and approachable by girls. And so it was all about having this like adventurous dynamic and how alluring. So this was really interesting. They were like, you know what's connecting on like a deep, deep level with kids with this Dino Riders idea is like children are little and everything is big in their world. And like all children want to do is to be able to control big things. And so like Dino Riders are like little tiny people controlling dinosaurs, Mm -hmm. which was like their psychological bridge, which I actually thought was like kind of really interesting. That's some cool psychology there. What is crazy is when we sent our survey to the class of 80s high of like, what are your memories of Dino Riders? What do you want? Basically, everybody said, we have no idea what this is. We've never heard of this.
0: This is a black spot in our memory. However, we got some great memories from classmate Gerald, did we not? The impact this toy line had on
1: Gerald was actually a very transformational moment in his childhood. I I love the memory we're about to share.
3: Yeah, let's go to it. So at six years old... They were one of the coolest things I'd ever seen, and it completely made me dinosaur crazy. Prior to this, the things I cared about most were spaceships and astronauts, because I really wanted to be an astronaut, and sharks, because I watched the movie Jaws. But I have specific memories of watching these, sitting on my neighbor's shag carpet, and watching with my neighbor and playing with the toys. Um, I have not actually seen the entire series. I've only seen maybe like four episodes, I think, and I just remember thinking that these were incredibly short. I didn't even think you could find them on TV. I remember that my neighbor had them on VHS and I don't even remember how I got a hold of watching these on VHS. Just that as soon as I saw these, like they were the thing that took over my imagination, right? I started drawing dinosaurs. I wanted, I started thinking about dinosaurs, reading about dinosaurs, and that just became the thing that really drew me into that world.
1: I love how like Gerald has the tactile memory of sitting on the shag carpet.
0: Uh, That's exactly what I was thinking too. I was like, that was such, I don't know why that shag carpet, that specific memory just drilled into my head, but I, I had the same response. Hilarious. I love it that, you know, he'd already had an
1: interest in space. He already had an interest in animals with like big mouths full of lots of teeth with the shark. And then Dino Riders comes out and he's like, this is all I care about now. This is everything. My imagination has been hijacked. He also makes a point that I really want to get into later in the show, I'm sure we'll talk about, but how he really, really remembers and loves the toys,
0: and the cartoon
1: wasn't really necessary to facilitate that love of the
0: toy line. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. But you know what was great about this cartoon, Ben? What was that? The voice actors.
1: The voice actors they pulled in for Dino Riders is an incredible, iconic voice acting cast yeah they basically pilfered the entire voice cast of transformers the mm-hmm. entire voice cast of the original teenage mutant Ninja turtles and the entire voice cast of gem and the holograms yeah. and that's who they got so uh wally burr he's the voice director he was also the voice director on transformers and transformers the movie he did gi joe he did gem he did inspector gadget he did spider-man and he also voiced just for himself the adam in super friends and harvey gabor in gem but let's talk about these other actors he got on board Top of the list, one of my favorite all-time voice actors, Rob Paulson. Also known as Pinky from Pinky and the Brain. He's Yakko from Animaniacs. He's the original Raphael in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You've got Cam Clark, who's Leonardo and Bebop from the original Teenage Mutant Turtles. He's incredibly successful. I'm not going to go through his whole resume, but like, if there was something produced in the 80s, he voiced in it. He's in everything. Townsend Coleman, the original Michelangelo, and he also voices The Tick.
0: You better be building to the biggest person in this cast. I'm leaving that person for last. Dan Galveston,
1: Bumblebee on the original Transformers, then Jem and Teen Materials. Charlie Adler, who was on My Little Pony, Tailspin, Transformers, Buster Bunny on Tiny Toot Adventures. Frank Welker is in this, who voiced Fred Jones on all the Scooby-Doo's. Megatron, he's Galvatron and Soundwave in the Transformers, and one of your favorite properties of all time, Little Orange Cat with Black Stripes. He's Garfield! He voices Garfield in the Garfield show. Nibbler mm-hmm. on Futurama. So there's a couple other great cast members, but really, the big mamma jamma,
0: I mean, go ahead and say it. You know who I'm going to say. No, I'm talking about Frank Welker. Frank has 860 acting credits. Frank is huge. He's a titan. Not only did he voice Emperor Krullus in this one, and Rasp, which is one of the like henchmen of the Emperor, uh, Dr. Claw and Inspector Gadget, yeah, that's and the pretty Tiger big. God, Cave of Wonders, and Aladdin. It's all the- yeah. Who disturbs my slumber? Wow, wait. Do it you have that a- one? And then it was a- I'll get you next time, Gadget. Next time. As soon as I heard the voice of Emperor Cruelus, I was like, that's the guy. Like, he's yeah, okay. the Cave of Wonders and he's Dr. Claw. Fair enough. Fair enough. He's a big
1: deal. No, it's good.
0: It's And good. the fact that he has 860 acting credits is he's impressive. Insane. What's more impressive is the dude still has a voice to actually act with. Right. Because his whole voice is just
1: destroying his throat. I he's, don't know how scared. those credits didn't shred his voice. That no, was amazing. Well, the only other one I really wanted to say was um, Peter Cullen. Optimus Prime. I just want to point out, you know, if you haven't heard of Dieter Writers, These were all the mega voice stars of the 80s and a lot of the 90s. I mean, this is a great cast they got for this. So the pilot drops straight to VHS in 1987. Then another VHS in 1988, followed by the premiere of the show on October 1st, 1988. And you can find all these on YouTube. There's a whole YouTube playlist. These are very easy to find and watch. They're like 22 minutes long. They're very snackable. A third VHS comes out in 1990 to promote the new Ice Age toys. That's a new line they were going to try and launch. So that's the show. The last part of history, of course, we have to talk about the super sweet
0: toys. Because Tycho wants to compete with Hasbro, Mattel, Kenner, who are all big into action figures. Tycho wants to get into that game. And so they're like, how are you going to compete? You start by bringing in the Dr. Robert Backer
1: the Michael Jackson of, like, modern-day paleontology. So they bring him in to, like, design the dinosaurs because he had all these really cool theories that he had been developing about. They weren't these, like, slow, lumbering, tall things like you see in, like, old, like, Claymation, Dawn of the Cave Bear kind of stuff. They were some of the most realistic dinosaur figures ever crafted in history. Uh, Dinosaur illustrator William Stout was credited for doing the dinosaur design in the show. Uh, The dinosaurs were acclaimed for being so highly detailed and so highly accurate... That the Smithsonian Institution calls up Tyco and they're like, "Hey, could you reproduce the dinosaur line like without the missiles and like the little people on the back of them? Because uh, right. we're gonna do this thing in throughout the Smithsonian. We want to sell the dinosaurs and other prehistoric reptile collection. Mm-hmm. I thought that was awesome. The story of the launch is crazy. So Robert Laurie, Tyco's VP of advertising, he's quoted saying that only two thirds of the line was going to be ready by Christmas '88. Like they hadn't finished producing." the launch line of the Diner Riders. So they decided to launch after Christmas. And if you're like in the toy world and your your CEO is like, yeah, we're, obviously we're going to launch this right in time for Christmas. You have to go into that meeting and be like, hey, so we're not going to make Christmas. Like, good luck not becoming the lunch for your CEO. So he says that they want to ensure the quality and authenticity. So they're going to launch on December 26th. It's a $10 million advertising promotional push, hoping that kids will do returns mm-hmm. and will go to spend any uh, sweet, sweet money from grandma and grandpa. And so all of this stuff launches day after Christmas. There's merch. There's a toy line. And the merch, did you get a chance to look at all the merch?
0: Yeah, they did. lunch boxes, backpacks, Halloween costumes, puzzles, sticker books. They have a Tyco brand of Play-Doh. It's called Super-Doh. You could sign up for the Dino Riders Club.
1: And then there's a whole comic line. So I love this. Each Acumen figure came with a comic book, which reminded me... One of my favorite toy lines was the Aliens action figures, and each one of those came with a Dark Horse comic that were so cool. And so I love that the Dino Riders all came with a comic, but Marvel, you know, it's Marvel. Marvel's doing the TV show, Marvel does a whole three-part miniseries on the Dino Riders through the
0: comics. The idea behind all of these is you develop a mythology that kids can get addicted to. So if you have this backstory, that allows the kids a launch point for their imagination. So part of developing that mythology is to have these little books and to have these features that you're talking about, the toys and everything. Uh, And certainly the the cartoon is the major launch point, right? Because you get all the story elements, you get the whole action set pieces, if you will. And that allows kids to say like, okay, I'm going to go recreate this with all the dinosaurs that I bought from my crappy returns that you know all the junk i got like duplicates of christmas or grandma's money all that kind of stuff
1: so when you go watch dino riders each episode like really tries to highlight one of the toys like it's it's like a different dinosaur is sort of like a hero for each one or like two or a villain so there are three series releases that happen each series release has kind of like really small dinosaurs with a action figure there's like medium size and then there's like these big honking really awesome dinosaurs that are motorized, they walk, their heads sway, and like up to like five or six people ride these dinosaurs to shoot all the stuff. Right. I think what's also really neat is all the characters that came with these dinosaurs are really small. They're only three inches. In the nineties you saw like more like five, six inch action figures. Yeah. But it's to keep the production cost down because if you had a full size five inch action figure, then the dinosaur's gotta be that much bigger. And that's plastic, that's paint, that's a lot of material. So you gotta keep it small. So series ones launches six Valorian, six Rulan toys, Along with eight two-figure packs, series two, seven new Valorian toys and three new Rulons, along with eight more two-figure packs, as well as six Commandos. The most to- notable toy from this line is the Brontosaurus, mm-hmm. which is the largest toy in the entire range. It's thirty-four inches long, fifteen inches tall. They had to get rid of a bunch of features to make it affordable to produce, but it's a it's a very sweet toy. And of course, like you remember, there's like I think a two-part episode. That, like,
0: reveals the Brontosaurus
1: as, like, the big jam.
0: I mean, they're basically fighting over control of the Brontosaurus. Right.
1: Last but not least, Series 3, three new dinosaurs for the regular series, and four prehistoric mammals for the new Ice Age concept. These are the rarest of the entire series to find, you know, if you're going to, like, garage sales or old toy shops, just because it was a really limited production line. hmm The Ice Age subline was unique in that all the animals produced belonged to the Valorian faction, the good guys, uh, with the rest of the series, three are, vi- are like virtually impossible to find. There was even a woolly mammoth, which was like their approach in this line to like the large figures. Right. Last but not least, I mean, the initial sales, it worked. It was a crazy gamble to launch after Christmas, which is like where like 60% of Tyco was doing its sales in the Christmas season. But it was huge. But the detailed figures, the detailed dinosaurs, it just became... Way too cost prohibitive to keep producing these like incredibly detailed great action figures. Uh, And so they retired the whole toy line and the TV series
0: after the Ice Age. But pretty impressive that they were able to make 22 different dinosaurs. You know, for a a short run show, that's extensive. All right. Let's
1: sprint off to chemistry, time travel class. I don't know, shop, because they're building a bunch of stuff uh, to talk about what we thought about this show, and what our memories were.
0: Let's step on over... (laughs) okay so we're in chemistry ben do you remember what step stands for it's an acronym i'm Uh, throwing out acronyms today and we're we're not remembering them all
1: it's the super tubular energy projector stop it's the
0: saucy tiny egyptian prophet okay (laughs) Space-time <laughs> energy projector. Thank so you. I was right, it is space-time. So that makes sense they were somewhere in the Valorian empire and they managed to show up on Earth. It's space-time. OK, you know what, I'm going to take it back. I yep. gave them some salt and I was like, ooh, how'd they get to Earth? OK, I stand corrected. Sorry, Conways, I am not worthy. Your vision was too brilliant, it just took us a minute to catch up.
1: We had to oh really gosh. reflect on ourselves. Absolutely. I want to ask you right at the top of chemistry,
0: did you own any of these toys? So I did. I went back and looked, and to the best of my knowledge, I had the Pteranodon, uh, which is one of the flying ones. Mm -hmm. As it turns out, I think I had both Rulon (gasps) playsets. So think of you were an evil household. Project what you will uh, onto that. (gasps) Oh my god! I will say this: I had more GI Joes than I had Cobra characters, and I had more of the. GoBots than I had of the Decepticons, so oh. you know you're just balancing balanced out it the out. household. This balanced it out, but also the Pteranodon and the Triceratops—that was the other one I had. Were so cool. You had the Triceratops. I sure did. That was like a big one. Well, media That was one of the medium-sized, right? It was a good size. It was a good size. So yeah, those were the two that I had, and I remember them being really high quality. And when I look back at photos of them, I'm like, oh yeah, these were really well done. Again, to your point, Smithsonian's like. We're going to use this in our gift shops. Yeah. So I only had two. They're both from series two.
1: One is a bad guy thing. It's called the Placerius. It looks like a tiny, sad Triceratops. It was one of the ones that were so small that the the guy couldn't even ride on the back. And the other one was fun. I, I was just going through old pictures just randomly and I found myself sitting on a, a friend's lap as a little kid, and I'm holding the Pachycephalosaurus, which was a Valorian... Is that the one that headbutts? Yeah. The what? And then there's a whole episode about headbutting, like the cliff to make all the rulons yeah. fall down.
0: Okay. So I had
1: that little, which was a good guy one. So I had, you know, I had two little small ones, which must have been like we were at the toy store. Mom, dad, so I'll, I'll
0: get him a good guy and a bad guy, and then we're good. I'm almost certain my friend had what was the dinosaur that had the big fin on the back, and they used it as like a, oh a surprise tactic where they would, the dinosaur return? and they were like hiding on the other side you're of the You're opening fin. a whole thing I wasn't ready to get into.
1: We're going to get into it when we talk about the TV show, but you're referencing the animal Dimetrodon.
0: Oh gosh, here we we're, go. Uh, we're going to get into it. We have the Neil deGrasse Tyson of dinosaurs here who's going to um-actually us on everything. Well, there's going to be a lot of um-actually in here. Because I believe the Pteranodon is also not a dinosaur, so. <laughs> you don't have to say it like that. Um-actually. You don't have to say it like that. All right, Ben. Well, to heck with our memories, because we asked Gerald, what toys did you have? And what toys did you wish you had from the Dino Rider toy line? And you better watch out because Gerald is a bit of a Dino Rider oneer
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're going to find out.
3: I had the Deinonychus and the T-Rex. They came with the action figures. And the Deinonychus, I think I had the good guy version, so he didn't have a helmet. It was a very friendly looking Deinonychus. like if you pressed this little button in its back it would actually kick its legs but it didn't look mean it had really friendly looking eyes and almost like a smile on its face i think um so you knew it was one of the good guy dinosaurs and the T-Rex was there was only one T-Rex in the show and i think that was clearly a bad guy T-Rex so it had the brain box it looked mean It was heavily loaded with stuff. So it had like guns pointing off of every single direction. Um, And so it was just basically this super well-armored animal. The action figures themselves, I had, you know, the one good guy and then the main emperor bad guy guy. I can't remember his name. The T-Rex had a lot of trouble balancing um, so, it needed a wheel in its tail. So, this was the old version of the T-Rex when people thought that it dragged its tail behind it. It was also animatronic where it would move its legs. It had wheels in its legs and so it's supposed to be able to walk across a floor. But it would only work if you had like tile or hardwood floor, which we didn't. So, it didn't work very well. So, it kind of just got stuck in the carpet, kind of stuck in place. I will say I was slightly bothered by the fact that I liked the bad guys more than the good guys because they had the better weapons and the cooler dinosaurs. And they're the ones who put the helmet on the dinosaur. Like, what's more awesome than a dinosaur with a helmet, right? The main one that I always liked, that I always looked at at the store, uh, never got it, um, was the Triceratops. That one, more than the Brontosaur, which we all know now is not even a real dinosaur, um, and definitely more than the trinodon, but the Triceratops was the cool one that it was like a tank, right? It was like, oh, if I had a tank to go with my T-Rex and my Dinoticus, my collection would be complete. Gerald, you fool! How could you forget the name of the almighty
0: Emperor Krulos? I will destroy you along with the Valorian Empire! <laughs> oh
1: my God. <laughs> I, You know, we all never know where salt and shame is going to come from. And I don't think Gerald <laughs> ever thought that that's how he was going to be shamed
0: at this day and age. You forgot the name of it for Cruelous, How could how you? How could you? Well, as you mentioned, Ben, he's clearly in the pockets of big oil. Aha. Uh-huh, because he had the big dinosaur. <laughs> he had
1: the freaking T-Rex, which is awesome. I mean, that no, was not like the uh, biggest one. Not the biggest
0: one, but... He had one of the big ones. I mean, arguably, maybe one of the coolest in the entire line. The T-Rex, it's, it's motorized. It moves. Only motorized in certain conditions, which this is one of those things about toys as a kid I remember. The clever marketing where it's like, oh, and this commercial, this T-Rex is walking all over the place. Try putting that baby on carpet. Womp
1: womp. Yeah. I mean, I empathize with Joe a lot. I love that he had that memory of like how it fell over so easily. It needs a wheel in the tail. As someone yeah. who has had a lot of dinosaurs over the years- Every T-Rex toy I've ever had falls over. Like, they never Mm. get the balance right of, like, how the legs are and where the weight is in the toy. Right, right, Uh, right. So that's totally—I mean, every T-Rex from the Jurassic Park line, one-off toys always fall over.
0: Well, and I also love that he wanted the Triceratops, and that's what I had. So it's like, hey, buddy, you may have been the one percenter in Big Oil's pocket, but I had the toy you also wanted.
1: Right. If he had seen you (laughs) in class or, like, in the playground with your Triceratops, like, he'd be like, oh, that's the kid I need to be friends with. Cause and you'd be you'd see his T Rex, of course. You'd be like, we need to get together. And he like, might have swapped it. Like I kept it in my book bag. He might have been like, find
0: Z- your keepers. E-wink? You, just, um, you just never
1: know. I love his memory of the bad guys being like, yo, their dinosaurs had helmets, which made them awesome. And we're like, yeah. wait, those
0: are slave brain boxes. They're not cool. But if you never watch the cartoon, you'd be like, cool helmets. Yeah, it's cool. battle armor. <laughs> it's battle armor. And you're like. It's
1: brainwashing, but okay. <laughs> but okay, that's a great point. Yeah, exactly. If he wasn't following the show, he didn't know what those were all about.
0: And, and last but not least, he kind of tips our hat a little bit at the end of this show, toward the end, where he mentions the big brontosaurus controversy. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not okay, ready. Okay, we're gonna get there to get into it. the magic of my step crystal editing. I know we're gonna talk about this we're at some get point get in the future. We're into it deep.
1: I promise.
0: So I, w- I was trying to go back, and I was trying to think. Like, it was Dino Riders? So,
1: 1987, I was three. Did Dino Riders start my obsession with dinosaurs? And that answer is no, because I remember that I had I had bed sheets from when I was like a toddler that were white with like colored dinosaurs all over it. So I was growing up in Connecticut in the 80s, and there's Dinosaur State Park in Connecticut. And to this day, I still mm. have in my home a negative plaster cast of an iguanodon foot from there. So I already had that before the show came out. Like, the only family home video we have of a holiday is Christmas 1987, actually, and I got, like, a full, like, as big as I was at the time, this green-stuffed dinosaur. Hmm. So I, for some reason, was already into the dinosaur Kool-Aid, and then somebody, some little marketer, I forget the, the VP of marketing at Tyco, but he was like, hey, hey, you kid, what if we strapped lasers to your dinosaurs?
0: <laughs> I was like, uh, oh, man! Yes, in. please! Yes,
1: please! This is all I ever wanted! This toy came in the time when we were moving from Connecticut to Ohio, and so I hadn't made any friends yet. So I didn't get to like mix and match. You know, like you watch these – the actual commercials for the Dino Riders have kids playing together battling their Dino Riders, but I never got to have it. Did you ever get to face off against friends' Dino Riders collections?
0: Like I said, my friend I think had at least one, maybe two of them. So we probably did –
1: so I really, this, I think this is a great time to bring Gerald in to share his memories of playing with other kids with dino riders, uh, because he and I, in a way, sort of share something in common of this transitionary period, which I think is awesome. So I want Gerald's memories uh, to grace our listeners' ears now.
3: So I was six years old when I saw this. Um, I was still learning English. Um, I had just moved to the States from Taiwan. And this was the toy, that my Dinonicus toy, was the one I brought to show and tell. I carried that toy in my backpack for like months. It was with me all the time on car rides. I probably lost like the weaponry on it, the components of it, but the dinosaur itself was cool enough to just carry around on its own. I even brought it to friends' houses and people would play with it and that would be like the default toy that I would have. What was incredible to me is that actually I would bring with me but no one stole it and I never lost it. My brother inherited it and actually if you look at it now it's there's like a poking hazard with it but like my you know my much younger brother actually played with it a lot and I think we had it until we ended up donating a bunch of stuff like by the time it was like junior high high school. Either that or it might actually still be in my parents garage somewhere like I don't know. I remember a birthday party where My friend accidentally got cake frosting on top of its head, and he just grabbed it and said, oh, here, I'll clean for you. just licked off the cake frosting and said, here you go, I'll clean. It was really more than just a toy. like It helped me find common ground and form a bond with other kids at school. Uh, It was something that was an instant conversation starter. Oh, you have this. Oh, I have this. Oh, let's just start playing. And for me, in a weird way, it did actually break some of those barriers. Much later, as an adult, like I, I have nothing but fondness for this. Like I, I know that it was a cartoon that was created to sell toys, and what a great way for them to do it, you know? It was educational for me. It was something that was really cherished, and they did a really good job with it.
1: This is awesome. First of all, I applaud Gerald, because apparently he learned English from dino riders as a, as a <laughs> six-year-old. You know, in our very first episode in in Nostalgia, where we talked about the psychology and science of nostalgia, we learned that you, you want to go to and feel nostalgia a lot during transitionary periods in your life.
2: Mm-hmm, and sometimes
1: mm-hmm. those transitionary periods have some of the most marked impacts on, like, what you remember. Right. And so, like, I was saying, like, I moved from Connecticut to Ohio, and I didn't have room to play with, so I was playing with these dinosaurs by myself. Gerald is immigrating with his family from Taiwan, and, like, dino riders had such a huge impact on his memory during that time.
0: Yeah. And I also love that he said, I know these were created to sell toys, and but it was a great way to do it. He had such a nice spin on it. He didn't sound quite as jaded as maybe you and I have been about like, how dare you market it to me? He's like, <laughs> I know it, but you know what? They did it in a great way. I thought that was awesome. No, totally. And I love, again, Gerald's memory is
1: amazing. I love that he has this sweet little memory of like being at the birthday party and getting cake on the dinosaur and his friend licked it. And he was like, cool. Like, it's just like helping each other out over dino riders, licking dinosaurs,
0: yeah. you know, youth, innocent youth. I do want to go back to the commercial real quick, since you brought it up, because yeah. those commercials, I was remembering how elaborate they were. Like, they would have these actual canyons, and the dinosaurs are moving through them. They'd have rock slides and avalanches. They'd have trees. And it was so interesting to me. I was just trying to think of the psychology behind making these commercials, where the kids are usually in the background just cheering They're not actually like touching the toys too much. Usually the kids (laughs) will just do it to like open a compartment, reveal a thing, swivel this piece around. I'm sure that's very intentional. So what is the psychology behind that? Is there something about like, if it looks like it moves on its own, it's going to be more appealing, but you have to show the kids there to show that. You still need to be present with it. I, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? I love the idea, though, that Tyco is, like, building this up as, like, it, it is the
1: Dino Riders, like, hot nightclub. And, like, yo, you can stand outside, like, on the sidewalk and look
0: in, but you can't touch these Dino toys. Like, they are too good for you. I know, but I think that's most of these commercials. I didn't go watch a bunch of other ones, but that really stuck in my head is I think this is a very intentional decision. And I'm curious, you know where that came from. But anyway. And please go look up
1: Dino Writers commercials because they are really interesting. It's kind of funny to see this. Outplay. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you about this, the comics. So like you said, the comics were put out with each action figure set mm-hmm. to help build this mythos, get people obsessed with the things. But I also read with Carla, you know, one of the writers of the show, it was to help prompt ideas with the kids of like what to do with their dinosaurs. Like you'd watch the show, you read the right. comic, and you're like, I'll reenact this story. And that's a big heady topic for me to try and get my head around. We're like, I don't know how I feel ethically about that. We're like, on one hand, it's kind of nice to like prompt kids of like, here's some options. Or do you want to just give a toy over for just pure creative play without framing it in a story and just be like, you, you're the storyteller. Here's this cool dinosaur with
0: rockets on its back. What would it do? I mean, you're not required to read the comic. That's true. And so it's just a launch point, but it's not none of it's required. I mean, when I reflect on my own play as a kid, I
1: certainly tried to follow like stories that I'd seen in the movies and the TV shows, but then I would invent my own little stories and adventures. Like there was still of course. creative play going on. Yeah, I want to get into the Valorians' telepathic crystals. Can we talk about that? Sure. You said like the the rulons, like these brain boxes, and they just like, they basically enslave the dinosaurs to do whatever. They want. But the Valorians just grab these little crystal necklaces and they can just talk into the dinosaur's brain. Mm-hmm. The dinosaurs understand English. They go along with everything. They're having missiles and lasers strapped to their back and being forced to shoot other dinosaurs who have
0: done nothing to them that we know. I'm just going to say this. The dinosaur era looked very boring. And these guys came along and spiced it up. They're like, do you want some real adventure? Like, all they're doing is existing. And finally, someone comes along with a little bit of creative content and is like, you know, you want to help us build this massive base? Do you want to help us defeat bad guys? Do you want to... Protect dinosaurs because, despite whatever you're saying, they were very keen on protecting the lives of dinosaurs. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I like it. Providing some spice. I'm just saying they spice things up. It was boring.
1: Well, the telepathic crystals also, I I feel like operate like cell phones because they don't just talk to the dinosaurs; they talk to each other, like from other dinosaurs or like from the sure. base. They just talk to each other in their brains. I it was The the crystals were fascinating to me. But the that's the crystals. cool thing
0: that kids can really be like, I wish I could do that. That's so much fun. Yeah. Again, it unlocks an idea. So it makes sense that they have the telepathy and the ability to do that.
1: Do you think when kids played with Diner Riders that they would wear crystal necklaces and just touch them and then just look at each other really hard and like try and send the message in their head? I know
0: some kids somewhere tried it. They're like, okay, let's see if we can make this happen. Make
1: and like you're the parent. You walk in and there's just two kids staring at each other in silence like on the floor. And you're like, there's something uncomfortable as yeah, like, What's yeah. going on
0: here? So, speaking of the dinosaur age and ethics of using these creatures for good and evil, we asked Gerald what team he would want to be on if he was in the Dino Riders universe, and here's what he had to say.
3: I would have always wanted to be one of the good guys, but with the bad guys technology and their weaponry, because the bad guys weapons were always way cooler. But in reality, what I would really want to be on is Team Dinosaur. I would rather be a Deinonychus or a Tyranodon or a Triceratops with laser cannons mounted to my back. Rather than be either the good guys or the bad guys. Because to me, the real good guys were the dinosaurs.
0: Oh, that's awesome! Team Dino all the way! I feel like he's a kindred spirit to you in that regard. You're like, yeah, the dinosaurs! Not Roulades, not Valorians, dinos. Mm. I need your help. I
1: missed something in the plot. Okay. Why do the Valorians... Like in episode two, just use the step crystal and go right back home. Why are they staying in the dinosaur
0: time? I'm almost certain they explained why in the first or second episode. I just don't remember what it was. If
1: you're listening to this and you caught that in the plot, like comment on one of our Instagram posts this week because I need that cleared up because it was driving me nuts. Not as nuts as another detail I'm going to get to in a minute, but we're going to get back to that. Uh, Another question for you, Chris. Why does T-Rex got to be the bad guy?
0: You know, I had the exact same question. I was like, why is this dinosaur always... A bad dinosaur. Yeah. Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. It's always the villain. Run me the wrong way. If you're just looking,
1: like, in the animal kingdom, like, it's just another animal doing what an animal does. Like, it is a predator. It's a meat eater. That doesn't mean it's a bad animal. We don't demonize lions. There's a whole beautiful The Lion King that basically makes them these beautiful, perfect creatures. Like... We don't need to hate and make T-Rex a bad dinosaur.
0: It's always the carnivores that are the bad guys. They're predators, right? It's just a natural thing. And then the herbivores are typically gentle, passive, uh, considered good. And so, I mean, if you think about it, most of the animals that were on the Valorian side were probably herbivores.
1: So you're saying like even like a modern cartoon like Zootopia still hasn't come up with anything new. Like it's still just like the predators versus the prey, demonizing the carnivores. Man. Just saying. Yeah, you're not wrong. So episode two, there's a quote that really rubs me the wrong way. At the end of episode two, the Valorians have saved a Stegosaurus. And they're going to like make the Stegosaurus part of their crew. And Questar goes, you're not alone anymore. Now you're a dino rider. To the Stegosaurus.
0: Yeah. Like, is
1: the Stegosaurus going to ride another dinosaur? That's The, the dinosaurs can't be dino riders. They are the dino ridden. Wow. That's your beef is... With episode semantics, two. semantics too. Okay, well, you know. Okay, so this is interesting. I think I think one of the reasons this show is not super memorable that a lot of people don't remember Dino Riders, at least in the responses that we got, it does not have a banging theme song. I mean, think of the cartoons that stick out to you, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters, Transformers. These shows had awesome, catchy theme songs and dino riders is basically exposition like talking there's mm-hmm. no singing that just says like here's the backstory of what's going on here
0: well okay let's, let's play the intro right now for everybody okay after years of peaceful existence on the distant planet valoria questar and his people were forced into battle the power of their step crystal
3: ripped a hole in the fabric of time sending them backward to prehistoric earth Unaware that at the same moment, the evil Emperor Krulos was plotting to capture the Step-Crystal with his own grotesque Rulon forces. And so, the battle continues in a new place in time with Dino Riders.
0: Okay, well, first off, that guy did a much better job of summarizing the plot than I did. (laughs) He did it in, like, less than a minute. We should have just played that at the top of the show. We should have played that just at the top of the show and be like, here's the description. You're right. There's no, like, sing-songy, like, Dino Riders. we're smashing the cool on stores.
1: <laughs> or Rulon. But I honestly think that's a flaw. Like, one of the reasons why it might not have stuck so hard, seriously, is, like, music is soulful, music is memorable, music creates nostalgia, and it really makes it stick. And it just, I noticed it did not have a really great theme song.
0: I mean, maybe it's a factor. I can't think that's a huge reason as to why. Maybe. Who knows? Uh, Episode five. I don't know if you caught
1: this. It's called Toro, 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 Saurus, And I had a question for you. I didn't know if that was either about like Toro, Toro, like for a bull, Mm
0: -hmm. or
1: if the Conways are really into the 1970s movie about Pearl Harbor, Toro, Toro, Toro. Do you have like a thought?
0: (laughs) I really don't. (laughs)
1: I just thought it was weird. You
0: have very interesting observations, No, I know. I
1: just thought it was strange if like, you know, like sometimes there's like adult references in kids' shows that go over kids' heads. And I'm like, a 1970s movie about Pearl Harbor is a really weird reference to make as Toro, Toro, Torosaurus.
0: Well, um, there's a lot of dark business in this. First off, we've talked about slavery, brain boxes. Yeah. There's also effectively racism. Oh, yeah. So there's different factions. There's like, there's the Vipers. That's like Rasp. Uh, He's like the main Cobra kind of looking guy. Not Cobra as in Cobra Yojo, but an actual cobra. Uh, They're like the hammerhead guys. They're kind of shark-like. There's crocodile-looking dudes, manta rays, locusts, ant men. So they have all of these different creatures, but they're all either reptiles or insects. Yeah. And then Krulos is sort of one of a kind. He's sort of frog-like. Yeah, it's kind of like a bullfrog-ish kind of head, like a turtle But he has to have this helmet on where I think he's underwater, like he has to breathe water. Oh, is that what that is? And so like the Valorians, as they're fighting them, are like calling them like snakeskin, fish eyes, fish lips. They're basically (laughs) hurling (laughs) racial epithets at these. (laughs) These Rulon, like, uh, members. Right, right. There's a bit of ableism. The Rulons basically yell at a blind guy. So mind's eye. Oh, my God. Right. Mind's eye. Oh, my God. You're nothing but a blind old fool. And I was like, what the heck? So there's ableism. (laughs) And then, of course, there's, we've already talked about this speciesism where T-Rex is cast as a bad guy. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that's sort of under the surface. But if you look at it, you're like, these are
1: dark themes. No, I agree. There's some uncomfortable undertones there. That's a very good observation. Something that caught me, episode nine is about Thanksgiving. Right. And I'm just wondering, like, is Thanksgiving a thing that always has to pop up in TV shows? Like, I wonder if we went back and watched, like, Transformers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and He-Man, like, if they all have a Thanksgiving episode.
0: I mean, I don't know about cartoons, but I feel like most mainstream shows are going to, at some point, have a Thanksgiving episode. Yeah. Now, granted, cartoons especially ones that run for 13 episodes. Probably not, but I feel like thematically it fits this show because they're people who have traveled to a new world and they're trying to find their place and think about, you know, even though we're in this dire situation, what are we thankful for? So I think it makes sense. It takes
1: them almost the whole show to finally explain why they celebrate Thanksgiving. Because I was like, wait, do these guys know like American Thanksgiving? What is happening here? And then they finally give all this exposition onto like escaping the Rulons, which is all the backstory that should have happened in the first couple of episodes. Like they explain why these two factions are fighting nine episodes in to a 13 episode run. I had a stroke and when I woke up from it, there were commandos. It's like little Chris was playing with Dino Riders. He's like, I need a few more action figures. So he just grabbed a handful of G.I. Joes
0: and threw them into the mix. Did you catch where the crap these commando guys come from? Well, I think the one guy was there all along. The main commando guy? Maybe, but they're like in
1: completely different outfits. Like they have braids and fatigues on. They're not space age outfits. And they all have like, again, very action figure. You're like, this is our bomb guy.
0: This is our fire guy. This dude throws nets. Like, what? Well, remember, Ben, to your point, what were they doing each episode? Introducing a new toy. Uh, So they have to introduce dinosaurs first, but hey, once you've thought there's nothing else, oh, we've got all these great (laughs) commandos, special force operations. Heck yeah, of course. I mean, I get
1: introducing the dinosaurs because it's a whole planet and new dinosaurs show up. But, like, these dudes had to arrive on someone's ship. Like, I I would love – it's a very Robot Chicken episode where I love, like, if the commandos show
0: up and some guy's like, does anybody else remember these guys on the ship? Like, <laughs> It's like Lost. You have these survivors that show up in right. the sixth season. Just let it go. <laughs> Just let it go. Don't die on that hill, Ben.
1: So, it's a two-part finale to the season. Introducing the Brontosaurus. Yes, I actually thought these two episodes were
0: actually kind of palatable. Like, it was actually kind of interesting, the finale. I did not find this entire show to be that objectionable, I'll be honest with you. Yeah? No. You could swallow it? It was not so bad? I don't think it was that bad. Oof. It's not anything I want to go watch again. No. But I'm like, go back and watch G.I. Joe. Go back and watch He-Man. Go back and watch Oof. Ninja Turtles. I feel like any of those shows, I'm like, I, I don't think it's any worse than those. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they they hit some big themes. Obviously, they talk about protecting and caring for animals. I mentioned that. They talk about, like, impacts of human existence on nature and how they have to deal with those impacts. Because remember, the Rulons, like, poison the water. The dinosaurs get sick, and so they have to, like, think about how to deal with that problem. There's shows that talk about anger and harmony, like the one... Young Star, I think, is one of the characters who yeah. loses his telepathic yeah. ability because he's so angry. Right. And they're like, you need to recenter yourself and find harmony, or you're not—you're not, you're not going to be able to communicate with your dinosaur. You know, there's like, what was it episode four or five? Who's the healer? She's like the only female character. This yeah, right. drives me crazy. Right. Serena. Right. So Serena's a healer. She can sense when animals are in danger, and so right. she's like, someone's in danger. She goes and she finds out it's Krulos, the bad guy. Right. His Helmet has been smashed, and his people leave him to die so they can like vie for power when he's gone. And she has to decide does she save his life or let him die. Right. That's a big thing to tackle. I agree. I mean, I I when I said Dino Riders were gonna
1: do the show, I was like, I'm gonna go back, and this is gonna be shallow and stupid, and it's just gonna try and sell toys. But like, there are actually a lot of big concepts for a child in this. There's a lot of big concepts in this for an adult. I mean, yeah. in, again, in the season finale, like, Krulos sort of, like, seeds. He's basically sending fake emails back and forth between him and Questar. Yes. And leaves a trail so that all the Valorians can find it. So they're all like, oh, my God, Questar's
0: helping the bad guy. Well, and not only that, he he has a famous parting phrase that he says, Questar, you have betrayed me. Oh, my God. And he leaves. And they're like, betrayed? Right. What did Krulos mean? Exactly. And so basically, he plants that to sow the seeds of doubt and then they find all these, you know, fake emails, <laughs> right? <laughs> these fake text messages where it's like, hey, boo, what's up? You know, and they're like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, boo, what's up? <laughs> no,
1: but like, yeah, there, there's a lot of good layers to it, I think. I mean, there are actually a lot of really interesting, there's a lot of interesting writing in this.
0: Again, I just want to say, you know, you, you mentioned they bring in all these heavy hitters, both in terms of voice actors and in terms of the uh, creators and writers and all those people. This was not a dumb, shallow, pointless show. I mean, there's obviously issues with it that we will and can talk about, but it's like, these layers don't have to necessarily be here. Yeah, I agree. Now here's my question to you. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm gonna talk about some of my annoyances. (laughs) Can you summarize the plot of all 13 episodes of this show? Individually? Yeah, it's the same plot every time. Yeah,
1: they just always seem to meet on a battlefield. And shoot each other, and then
0: some new dinosaur gets thrown in the mix. That changes the game a little bit. Well, but why are the Rulons attacking them? It's not just to wipe out the Valorians. What, what is Krulos's... What is the MacGuffin that drives his entire... They want to steal purpose? the step crystal. Yes. Every episode, questar... <laughs> We'll get this brand new dinosaur that wasn't in the last episode, and I will destroy the Valoran forces and take the step crystal so we can go back to our own time and rule the galaxy. Every
1: episode. I need you to play a clip from him saying that kind of thing right next to when you said that so people can see how great your Krulo's impression is. Okay, let's
0: drop it in right now.
3: Dino riders into the dust!
0: All right, so there you go. So good. It's so on point. That's every freaking episode. But to your point, I have to say this about the mysterious 14th episode, which is basically we need to launch an Ice Age line of toys. You were joking about, thank goodness the dinosaurs can understand human telepathy. (laughs) How about how convenient is it that Cro-Magnons and Neanderthals both speak English? That, to me, was the bigger transgression. Well, I'm, fi- I'm so glad we finally cleared
1: that up in the history books, because it was never really clear what their language was, and they spoke perfect modern 1988
0: English. Okay, well, here's my question. Do they speak English, or do they speak Valorian? Or is that the oh. same thing?
1: Or Rulon, because they all apparently speak the same language. Oh my god, that's right. So Rulon, Valorians, dinosaurs, Cro-Magnon, and the animals they find. It's impressive. So in this final episode 14, they activate the crystal. They're like, we're doing it. But they end up in Earth's Ice Age. And it's just the Valorians. For some reason, they've got 24 hours until the crystal activates again to send them back. So they want to recruit new animals to take back to prehistoric times to beat the Rulans. And they do. They take back these, like, saber-toothed tiger and other animals. The woolly mammoth comes back, right? The woolly mammoth. So here's my really nerdy hill to die on. Paleontologists try and estimate how many different types of dinosaurs there were on Earth. Mm -hmm. One of the metaphors they use are predators. And we're we're going with the question of how many T-Rexes were there. And so they look at predators in ecosystems. You look at the Serengeti, how many lions do you have? You look in a river system, how many alligators? And so they often talk about a wolf spider. And when you've got a wolf spider, which is a mega predator for bugs you'll only find one big wolf spider in like an acre or like a half an acre because you can't have too many alpha predators because then they you can't sustain the prey and the whole ecosystem collapses so when this ice age episode happens and they take back like a saber-toothed tiger i'm like so does the rest of the future collapse because you just took back integral parts of the ecosystem, the Ice Age. They're not, it's not just like those woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers lying around all over the place. So the cro Magnans starve to death. They die. Humans never happen, which means are the Valorians in the future? And so the Valorians never happen and the entire future collapses on itself. Great Scott, Marty. Great Scott. I was just, I was very upset when they like took those animals out of
0: the Ice Age. I was like, how dare you? I was more offended that this was the most marketing ploy of all the marketing ploys. And I realized that's the entire existence of this cartoon. Sure. Nevertheless, that felt so contrived. I was like, wow, this is a desperate attempt to revive the show with this different era of animals. Right. So (laughs) the last
1: thing I wanted to get into in chemistry uh, is what I'm going to call the dinosaur heresies. We touched on this with Demetrius a little bit.
0: Okay. Well, I want to hear about this, but... My, my, air your laundry first air your my laundry qu- no 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 my question to you was going to be what did you think of their dinosaur species education how did you feel about the fact that they were actually trying to it wasn't just here's a big dinosaur they actually named them all and these are complicated names some of them i can't pronounce them no it's good it's really good i mean some of i i, I do appreciate
1: i mean again you know they brought in backer with the toys because at this time they're Pop culture is really just focusing on, like, the three biggies. You've got the brontosaurus, you've got T-Rex, and you've got triceratops. That's what's right. in everything. And so I like that they brought in a lot of really, like, unique oddball dinosaurs. And like you said, the harder ones to say, like Parasolophilus or, like, Pachycephalosaurus, like, the harder ones was really great. You know, they had, they had the outdated pronunciation of Diplodocus, which modernly we, we, you say Diplodocus. But Krulos also said, Tyrannosaurus Rex. He said Tyron. Yeah, Yeah, that was pretty fun. Maybe that's just a geographic thing. Like that's the part of his continent where he's
0: from. So that's sure. like an that's accent. True. Maybe that's this right. is an
1: accent. I don't know.
0: He's like a southerner um, yeah, on, right. on Rulon or right. whatever.
1: Uh, No, but I was, I was actually, that's a great question. I was very impressed with uh, the variety of dinosaurs they introduced. This is pretty good. Having said that. I loved dinosaurs growing up so much that when it came to college and you could pick your science credit, I picked dinosaur evolution. And it was a big class. It was a three credit monster. And I loved it. And one of the books we read in that is by Robert Backer, Dinosaur Heresies. And he calls it heresies because he was coming out with all these crazy ideas that were like a 180 from what everyone thought about dinosaurs. Some like more commonly accepted, like you see in Jurassic Park, where like T Rex runs horizontally and it's a fast, going thing, but some that are freaking nuts about, like, circulatory systems and all kind of stuff. So Robert Backer and Jack Horner were the two rock star paleontologists of the 80s and 90s. We're going to get into other paleontologist showdowns in a second. But um, Jack Horner was brought on by Spielberg to consult on the Jurassic Park movies, and they have this kind of pleasant rivalry, Backer and Horner. So in the second movie, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, in-gen, shows up to Site B, and they've got a paleontologist. And that paleontologist is dressed and behaves like Robert Backer. So he's got the big sun hat, he's got a big beard, long hair, plaid, jeans, a vest. Uh, And actually, because Jack Horner and Robert Backer are kind of playful frenemies, Backer's eaten by a T-Rex in the second movie. So anyway, he writes this great book, Dinosaur Heritage. So the first thing, maybe like five years ago, there was a theory that all triceratops, all ceratopsians, all the dinosaurs that have big frills and horns... We're all the same species and just maybe had like little different horns. that come up, Just like humans, right? We're all the same species, but you just look a little different here and there. That was basically like a summer. That was like a summer fling that died. The second, as you already referenced, for an animal to be a dinosaur, it must walk on ground. So if it is flying, that is a, called a flying reptile. Tis not a dinosaur. And if it is swimming, that is a marine reptile.
0: So the issue isn't that they did not coexist in the same time frame. It is purely nomenclature. Just nomenclature.
1: Like they could have been at the same time, but they're just not. A dude cannot be strapped to a pteranodon and be called a dino rider. He's a flying reptile rider, (laughs) which doesn't have the same catchy ring to it. Way harder to brand. But to your point, you asked about the big frill guys, dimetrodon, where the frill theorized either used in mating or like body temperature regulation. Backer said might not have even been a dinosaur. Closer to mammal with how its circulatory system was structured, which is kind of actually really fascinating. But the last thing I want to get into, if you're into dinosaurs, you're going to get real excited here, the Brontosaurus controversy.
0: So if I understand this one correctly, isn't the whole idea that the Brontosaurus may have never existed, it's the Brachiosaurus? Is that... Apotosaurus. Okay. But new S has come to light.
1: (laughs) I love this. This is freaking awesome. So the Bone Wars is what I want to talk about. And there's like a full book on the Bone Wars. It's really fascinating. But in the 1800s is when people started finding dinosaur skeletons and mass. And it really came down to these two paleontologists who at the end of the day are both jerk weasels. You've got Marsh versus Cope. So Othniel, Charles Marsh, and Edward Cope. And these guys, it was all about speed, right? You wanted to find as many dinosaurs as possible and get them into museums, get your name famous. So these guys would find like half a bone and call it a new dinosaur. Hmm. And they would actually sabotage each other's dig sites, like literally destroy the site, like burn it to the ground, break all the bones they were finding, all the fossils they were finding, so you could screw them over so like you'd be first to mark it. So anyway, they're barely finding bones. They're calling it a dinosaur just to like have this race to like who's the best. It's actually really fascinating. It's really funny. It's freaking ridiculous. So Marsh out of Yale finds this bone and he's like, aha, in Montana in 1877. He's like, it's a brontosaurus. So like 30 years later, other paleontologists go back and look at his work and he's like, dude, we found a million of these. This is a potosaurus. They're both long-necked dinosaurs.
0: Mm-hmm. They're
1: both sauropods, but it's not – they're like, yo, this is not <laughs> – it's not a brontosaurus. Calm down. And that's that's what it's been for like a century as they're mm. like, yeah, it's a podosaurus. There is no brontosaurus, but for some reason, pop culture caught out of that. So you see brontosaurus everywhere. And for that century, most paleontologists were like banging their heads on the wall like, oh
0: my god. It's a much better word though, brontosaurus.
1: Right. It just rolls, rolls right out of the mouth. Oh, my God. So it means thunder lizard, and it just drove people nuts. But in 2015, a team of paleontologists led by Emanuel Shop at the New University of Lisbon in Portugal completed this massive computer analysis where they, like, electron microscope scanned basically every skeletal evidence of basically all the sore positive, all the long-necked dinosaurs that exist out there. He analyzes all the fossils in the group of dinosaurs called Diplodocids, or Diplodokids, like we said in the show. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know what? Actually, Brontosaurus is its own group. There's enough wow. that's different that Brontosaurs are, are actually their own dinosaur separate from Apatosaurus. How about that? Just six years ago. It's exciting. Very exciting. So then I was like, okay, dinosaur writers, you got it right. I'm all right. Brontosaurus, that's a cool dinosaur. You should get it. Bringing it back. Brontosaurus lives on. That's all I had for chemistry. Anything else you want to talk about as you digested, revisited your memories and your toys with this? Well, I,
0: I just want to ask you, what is your favorite dinosaur? We kind of brushed on that subject. What's your favorite?
1: Oh my, how dare you hit me with this question?
0: Well, I'll tell you mine. Yeah, that helps. Yeah, it helps. me. So mine is the Ankylosaurus. I don't know why. I always found that one interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think it's had to do with the tail and it's got like that. I think they usually have like the spikes on the side. But the one that made me scratch my head for a minute in the cartoon is they mentioned the Edmontonia. Oh, yeah. And I was like, is that a dinosaur name? Like I looked it up because I was like, is this the name of a ship or a location or whatever? And I looked it up because it doesn't sound like a sore, a don, (laughs) a tops, whatever. And so I was like, wait, what? And I looked it up and I was like, oh, and it's similar-ish to an Ankylosaurus. Well, actually, I'm looking now. It does say it's in the family with Ankylosauria.
1: It's a very cool dinosaur. It's like if a dragon and a turtle right. made love. It's, it's like Bowser. It's, it's Bowser. That's what I was just about to say. It's Bowser. You know, I've had to think about it. I really drank the Kool-Aid from my professor that Allosaurus was like a pretty... Mm. He's a little bit smaller than a T-Rex, but came evolutionarily a little later. So like faster, smart, really cool dinosaur. But, you know, I think I love the anti-hero, the T-Rex. I know it's like a go-to. It's like every kid loves the T-Rex. But, like, I think when you look at how pop culture and science has reflected the T-Rex, it's had the biggest arc. There's mm-hmm. so much written about T-Rex of, like, was it a was it a good parent? Or did it abandon its kids? Did it lay mm-hmm. a nest? Or, like, did it stay with its young and, like, teach them? Was it this lumbering, upright, stupid thing? Or was it, like, a horizontal sweet terrifying super fast predator there's this whole thing in dinosaur heresies was it a scavenger like was it actually so bad at hunting it actually didn't hunt it just found kills of other things like hyenas it's had so many ups and downs of like how did it behave i think the science on t-rex are really fascinating it's really cool
0: okay ben so we talked about our favorite dinosaurs but we had a question for gerald right absolutely now we didn't ask him his favorite dinosaur but we asked him i think a more fun question which was what uh, which dinosaur would you ride if you could?
3: Let's hear what Gerald had to say. It's kind of a toss-up between the Tyrannodon versus the Deinonychus. And if I had to choose between those two, I would still choose the Deinonychus. Because uh, the Deinonychus is small, fast, and nimble. It's a bigger Velociraptor. And in fact, it was actually the dinosaur that Michael Crichton used to model the Velociraptor on in the Jurassic Park story. Apparently, Deinonychus was categorized as a Velociraptor in a 1988 book and that's the one that Crichton read and just went, okay, that sounds really cool I'm going to put that in my book
1: Yes! Thank you, Gerald. At least I know that one other person in the world knows this about Jurassic Park, about Velociraptors versus Xenonicus. Ben feels so
0: vindicated right now. He's he's just sitting in his catbird seat. Catbird
1: seat. Gerald, I knew we had to have you on the show. Kindred spirits. (laughs) I'm so glad you know that fact, too.
0: That's so good. That makes me feel better. That leads perfectly into a big question I have for you. Oh! You wanted to argue semantics about flying, they're flying reptiles, they're not dinosaurs. Uh How can you love a movie franchise called Jurassic Park? Yeah. When these animals did not, as far as I understand, exist in the Jurassic period? Oh, well, that's driven me nuts since I was a little kid. I mean, so you ask the
1: question of like, what period is Dino Riders? And it's all of them. Like, it took 120 million years to get from the start of the Triassic to the end of the Cretaceous, where you get these massive guys like the Triceratops and the T-Rex. 120 million years. And Jurassic Park gets away with it because it's genetic engineering. So they're like, what's all the cool stuff in the fossil record? We'll just make that. And Jurassic has a nice ring to it.
0: I was going to say, it's the best name of all of the options. For sure. For it's an amazing sure. name, but I just know w- you were, I'm um, actually, so I was just, no, I no, got to call good. you on it. No, it's true. Because this is one of your favorite franchises. What, number one, number two? Mm, wh- number okay. one, number one, for sure. I-, I needed to throw that out there.
1: Keep it honest. It's an uncomfortable itch, but, uh, you know. I let it go with the genetic engineering. And the park is, I mean, it's part—it's a theme park, right? So it's all about marketing. So I get you got to put a sexy name on it. I get it. But yeah, to answer your question earlier, Dino Riders, it's a smoosh of all three. So the Mesozoic is the overarching time period of when these animals live Triassic, Jurassic, Cretaceous. So they're all just from Mesozoic is what I said myself. Okay. They're just picking the coolest looking stuff. Because you got to remember, we've actually found an incredible amount of dinosaurs. There's a wide variety and most don't look that interesting. Or they look a tiny bit different than another one, so they really like highlight the really cool, goofy-looking ones.
0: The only a couple things I do want to mention about the show—you've mentioned a couple of the names. The names are ridiculous. We talked about Lad and Cub, which these are not spelled LAD and CUB; they're spelled differently. Sure. You know, so the main guy's Questar, Uh, the elderly guy who's got like a sixth sense and he's blind. His name is Mind Zai. There's Youngstar, there's Turret, Gunner. Again, these are not spelled like you would think. And on the bad guy side, what were some of the ridiculous ones? So Krulos, uh, you mentioned this, Ben, cool. I think off camera, yeah. but uh, cruel, right? Rasp is a snake. He's got kind of a, a little higher pitched raspy voice. The names are just ridiculous.
1: Well, and these are the G.I. Joe writers, right? It's like, I, I actually true. never owned or played with G.I. Joes, but like, I feel like that was similar with the G.I. Joe line of like the characters. Yeah, that's were, true. It's very
0: true. Yeah. They're kind of, they're kind of, that's, you know, that's their brand. Like Destro Destroy. Yeah. I think there's a flamethrower guy named Barbecue. So yeah, I mean, they had like, ridiculous was, names, right? wait, hold on. What? There was a guy named Barbecue.
1: Okay. In G.I. Joe lore, like, do you get a nickname when you join the Joes or
0: was that his birth name? I'm gonna assume that's his nickname. Okay, It's like his, like in Top Gun, you know? It's like his- Maverick, Iceman. Maverick, Iceman, yeah, exactly. And then the very last thing I wanted to mention is how much sound effects are recycled across different shows. Oh! There's some laser sounds that are identical to the Star Trek photon torpedo sound. Oh, yeah. There was another one that I swear is the sound of the Star Wars TIE fighter or the blaster. Oh! Not the TIE fighter, like the sound of it flying, but the sound of it's laser. The back. bad
1: guys are in the base of the Valorians and Mind's Eye opens like a trap door and
0: they fall down the trap door out of the ship. And I was like, that's a TIE fighter sound.
1: Yes. yes right.
0: When they're in that ship and they're fighting with Mind's Eye or like trying to attack him or whatever, they blast out all the, this is what happened, Ben, I, I remember now. The um, Rulons, when they're on that ship, they shot up all the consoles on their ship. Mm-hmm. I think that's why they couldn't use the step crystal to get back right oh. away. But when they destroy one of the consoles, I swear it's an R2-D2 sound. What? It's one of the sounds R2-D2 You're makes. You're very good at Go impressions back. which R2-D2 sound is it. Okay, I'm gonna play the clip right now. Power crystal is missing. The step is useless
3: without it. Yes, right. It will always be useless in the hands of Rulons. Out of my way, blind man.
2: Your sight is of little use to you now.
3: Ah. <laughs> now, the cliff! Cr- Where is it? You'll never get it, Rulon. <clears throat> <clears throat>
0: Forget ever turning to the future. The Rulon Empire is finished. Yeah! Come on. For sure, those are Star Wars blasters, 100%. Tell me that's not a noise that R2-D2 makes.
2: What? What
1: the heck? You can't do that. So, I mean, I got to imagine, I mean, I cannot find this in the research, but I got to imagine ILM much of like licensed some of their sound effects.
0: You know, I know there's stock sound effects, but those are very clearly Star Wars, very clearly LucasArts. Those are not like the Wilhelm scream that's in every movie, right? I was just going to say, I wish they layered that
1: (laughs) onto it. I think that's all I have for chemistry. I think I've milked all the memory
0: that I have. Do you have anything else? We have one more thing we do want to share, though. Probably the best way to close out this class, we asked Gerald, why was Dino Riders such an awesome property of the 1980s? And he had this amazing response that encapsulates a lot of stuff that we talk about in this episode. And so he just did a bang-up job, and here's what he has to say.
3: To me, it came out of that era of time when it was all just marketing innovation, creating TV shows to sell toys. There's very few forces out there that are as powerful as media. They thought of something brand new out of whole cloth, and they had to come up with something compelling that would sell a really compelling toy. People have tried to do humans and dinosaurs for a long time, um, but this one was done in a way that was very easily accessible to kids that also juiced your imagination, right? It didn't portray dinosaurs, just blanket, as hungry monsters. They weren't good or evil. They were just animals that either could be coaxed to join the good guys or like they were, you know, taken over by bad guys and had to be freed, right? And it was perfectly made for selling toys. It was such of a time of the 80s where you create this really simple narrative and people will come. You don't actually need a storyline to sell a dinosaur toy with (laughs) weapons strapped to the heads. But if you add humans and versus lizard animals and add space and sci-fi, it's just even cooler. And I think you could totally do this again today. Dino Riders was a really kind of clear through line to me that transcended the 80s and went into the 90s with Jurassic Park. I remember uh, watching the trailer for Jurassic Park when I was a kid and just going, oh, my God, they did Dino Riders again. You know, like at some point I was just hoping for people riding dinosaurs to happen. And they did it with Jurassic Park. Like somebody thought of this like this was clearly meant to be like a thing. And so again, dinosaurs and humans have always been awesome. And this was of a time where they just figured out a way to really capitalize well on it.
1: You know what's interesting? He made a point, and it's something that I didn't see, and maybe I still don't see, but it's just interesting that he thought Dino Riders was a, a definite through line to Jurassic Park, and that he was like mm. waiting to see people ride Dinosaur Jurassic Park. And from my memory, I besides both the properties being centered around dinosaurs, like I never drew a line between the two. Uh, And I was never watching the original Jurassic Park being like, when is someone going to ride this T-Rex or like Velociraptor? Right. Uh, Also, so prescient of J.L. to say, you know what, I think they could do it again today because I think we're about to go down the hallway to contemporary culture to test that theory.
0: That's a great point.
1: You made a very dangerous mistake. Oh dear. Of telling me about your favorite G.I. Joe action figure, Barbecue. Okay. (laughs) Which started to make my stomach rumble. So I'd like to go. I think there might be barbecue on the menu. I think pick. he's I the school chef, there.
0: actually. I think he's going to be <laughs> cooking up all these delicacies we just heard just about. Just
1: flame throwing the whole like walkthrough that you got to go through. Today's
0: lunch will be charbroiled. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, well, let's go have some blackened uh, T-Rex steak and then we can get into contemporary culture.
0: Fantastic.
3: The greatest battle in the history of the universe is about to begin. The Roulant! They're about to attack! Quickly, we'll have to trap them in the canyon. The Dementodons are harmless. Leave them be. The clever Dino Riders seal off the escape route. It's up to you, Commandos. Now! Leaping into the path of the Thundering Giants, the Commandos close off the front of the pass. Blast them to bits at men. Put
0: this in your Easter basket, Krulos! Don't forget to ride home, Rulans!
3: The Dino Riders put on the vanishing touches. But Krulos escapes on Tyrannosaurus Rex. Look out! Sky! The Stegosaurus! Take this, lizard lips! I'll be back, Crystal. The battle is over, but the action's just beginning with a complete dino riders collection! Dino.
0: I pulled up to the lunchroom in my Flintstones car. I kicked my way up there. They put a giant rack of brontosaurus ribs on the oh, side I and about that. tipped my car over. Oh,
1: how dare they? How dare they?
0: Well, mom.
1: Everything was just black and crispy on my thing. Barbecue only knows one temperature. I said, Oh, no, you yabba dabba don't. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Contemporary <laughs> <laughs> culture. This is why I love the premise of the show. This is why I'm so excited about the contemporary culture class that we have on 80s High. Because so many people from the class of 80 High were like, I don't know what Dino Riders was. But you look at everything Dino Riders inspired afterwards mm-hmm. and you're like, so much that you know in pop culture wouldn't, I don't think would exist without Dino Riders.
0: Absolutely. Do you want to first talk about what came of this show after its 14 Please. episode run? No, no, yeah. Take it off. Take it off. In 2015, there was buzz of a movie. Not only that, Ben, did you realize this was gonna be a live action movie? The promo art for it looks freaking awesome. (laughs) I thought it was gonna be a cartoon. When I read live action, my jaw dropped. As said on one of the documentaries I saw about this, that idea has gone the way of the dinosaur. And then just last year in 2020, Mattel released an exclusive battle pack called the Rulon Warriors Battle Pack modeled after army men it's six dinosaurs and 15 figurines now we talked about the great quality of the original run of toys these are just the little plastic mold figurines right the one side's in green the one side's in purple they're monocolor that's it i was shocked that this show has made a comeback twice in the last decade that's nuts yeah,
1: and I just want to throw out there: the battle pack is only nineteen ninety nine, and my birthday is not too far away. So, like, if anybody just wants to drop some Diner Riders on my front door, wink,
0: wink, nudge, wink, wink,
1: nudgy nudge. Uh, no, I thought that was—I thought that was pretty cool. The producers behind the potential show they had were lining up the potential movie were like legit. I think one was one of the producers on Sin City.
0: They had people behind it. I don't know what happened. I think it would be huge. So that's Dino Riders proper. Now, what are all the things like you mentioned that were inspired by this? So right after this show closes, right after it comes out, the cartoon Cadillacs
1: and Dinosaurs. Oh, my God. And there's, there's somebody listening right now who's like, yeah, I loved Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. And it
0: is what you think. Actual Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. It's this
1: animated TV series with a toy line. But there was just it just didn't have the magic of like space people riding dinosaurs, shooting lasers. You pull one of those out, the stool falls over.
0: You can't have it. They were trying to copy an unsuccessful franchise. <laughs> so yeah. This, this right. is basically a copy of a copy.
1: Uh, and talking about copy, so also right out, Lenar Toys releases Primal Clash, which looks yeah. like a pretty straight up ripoff. It's like people riding dinosaurs. It looks a little more G.I. Joe-esque, like it's modern war weapons. I actually saw lasers. it conceptualized
0: as Dino Riders meets G.I. Joe. You're 100%- uh, Oh, really? 100%. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So
1: it's like, it's a blatant ripoff. But then we get to something a little more beautiful. Did you ever like Dinotopia?
0: This is the books, right? These are books? Yeah. I did not even know what they were. So no, I don't even think I've ever heard of them.
1: So Dinotopia is gorgeous. If you have a, a child any age, let's let's go between five and 14- and even for yourself Dinotopia is a series of books that is illustrated by James Gurney who like in the graphic design and like art world is a big freaking name and it's this beautiful sort of like almost like roman empire times where like dinosaurs and humans are living in peace together it is honestly sincerely a beautiful book series i remember in the, when the second book came out it actually had sheet music in the middle for the song of dinotopia and that's when i was learning to play the piano and i learned hmm. how to play the dinotopia song <laughs> It's a beautiful series. So um, in that there's the character Bix, who is uh, reportedly modeled on the Dino Rider's Protoceratops toy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's 1992. You know, I want to I be able to share the fun with you. So I'm, I might be so kind enough to give you probably the biggest reveal. 1995.
0: Do you want to talk about Toy Story? Yeah. So there's the character Rex, voiced by the one and only Wallace Shawn. Yes. I was going to try to do an impression of, but I think I've shredded my vocal cords. Too much uh, Krulos. Too much Emperor Krulos. It's going to come off bad anyway, because uh, it's just going to be the inconceivable where you do the right, whole exactly, Right, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's this great line that Rex has in it where he says, I'm from Mattel. Well, actually, I'm from a smaller company that was purchased by Mattel in a leveraged buyout. And this is an actual <laughs> reference to Mattel purchasing Tyco. Right. And so this is a very oblique reference to Dino Riders.
1: Well, and it means it is canon that Rex in the Toy Story movies is the T-Rex
0: toy from Dino Riders is what Hello. he's supposed to be. Then Ben, a little bit of redemption isn't a bad guy. Not a bad guy. A very good, he's very kind-hearted. Finally, we get a, a gentle T-Rex. I thought that was one of the biggest like pop
1: culture influence reveals, was being in Toy Story.
0: That blew my mind, because I actually remembered the whole line about the leveraged buyout. <laughs> you know, I just thought it was like a funny joke they made. Right? But to realize this was the reference was pretty mind-blowing.
1: Oh, yeah. So uh, 1999, a decade later, one of my favorite video games of all time, Turok 2. Yes. There's a segment where you ride, like a dinosaur we said earlier in this episode, you ride on the back of a Styracosaurus, so it's like a Triceratops with more spikes on its frill. Then
0: I have the most important question of all times. What? Are there lasers? Pretty close. You have two artillery cannons
1: and a 20 millimeter machine gun. On okay,
0: it. okay, you have firepower, you have artillery. I'll allow it.
1: South Park had a three-part series in 2007, which was called-
0: Land. Yes,
1: that's right. I mean, this one's kind of a weak one to even put in here, but there's like a quick panning and the T-Rex- Toy is in the background. Like.
0: Almost like any property that you can ever imagine, they tried to jam into one of those episodes of Imagination Land. It's pretty impressive. Right.
1: So, I sent you a clip from the Robot Chicken Chi Jogurt
0: yes. episode. Did you watch that clip? I did. I can't remember a bunch of it, but they're basically kind of mocking the concept of the show, but I can't remember the particulars of it.
1: Well, it's just like they're kind of doing like an awesome cartoon for Dino Riders, but then they go back to the slavery. It's like the whole realization that these people are enslaving the dinosaurs, and that's like the whole... Joke I think the there's robot. also a joke about like feeding babies to the dinosaurs. I didn't get that reference, but I was so like, it's, it's basically like they're trying to write the theme song as you're watching it. So they're like, "Dinosaur
2: riders, guys riding dinos."
1: And wait, is that a prison labor camp? What's going on? Over- Are they just feeding babies to dinosaurs? Yeah. Oh my god! Like, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah, that was funny. So if you're uh, a slightly bit younger, like if you're a if you wouldn't be a, you wouldn't be a millennial, you'd be like a late. A late Gen Z, an older Gen-, Gen Z. You might have liked the cartoon show Teen Titans Go. So Teen Titans Go, all the Titans go to an island, and they basically weaponize some dinosaurs and mm. fight to see which dinosaur would have been the most awesome. Mm-hmm. This is a video game you and I need to play on Steam tonight. What are we talking about here, Ben? In 2011, did you ever stumble across Dino D-Day? No. There is a game on Steam that I think is like $4. It came on 2011. I obviously played it called Dino D-Day, which is World War II reinterpret? so, you know, like, in real history, Hitler was very much into the occult. And he very much was, like, having his Nazis and Nazi archaeologists made famous by Indiana Jones literally traveling the world trying to find items of power right. to, like, help the Third Reich. That was a real thing. So, Dino D-Day basically posits that Hitler figures out how to reincarnate and weaponize dinosaurs. Okay, and the allies then copy this science, and so in this game, there's no one riding the dinosaurs, but all the dinosaurs have lasers and machine guns and cannons on them, and you fight it out in, like, old Europe. Interesting. It's a crazy game. So 2017, there's a... Actually, there's a game that I think is kind of up your alley, based on what else you'd like. What, what comes out in 2017?
0: Well, I think you're talking about Ark, colon, Survival Evolved. I was curious if you had
1: ever played it cuz it is like a, it's a crafting it's a survivalist it's a world building but you do weaponize game. dinosaurs
0: right Right
1: so you wake up on an island you don't know what's going on and you basically build bases it's a little like Minecrafty but better graphics and then you tame animals many of which are dinosaurs and then you build weapon platforms on them It's not like the point of the game but it is a feature it's kind of like No Man's Sky where right. it's like Here's this world. Do whatever you want. If you want, you can go weaponize dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing. Right, right, right. I've definitely seen it. I've never played it. Okay. Have you played it? I did play it. And it is a type of world building game that I don't like because it you can't pause it. Mm. So like if you want to stop playing, your character is still hanging out in that world and someone can come kill you and loot your whole base and take all your stuff. Nope, I'm done. I don't like that. It's a waste of my time. Agreed. Uh, But in that same year, one of my favorite dinosaur-based video games comes out for the PlayStation 4, and that is Horizon Zero Dawn. Mm. I don't want to spoil anything because the story is beautiful. It's great story writing. But there are robots everywhere that look like dinosaurs, Mm. and you're hunting these dinosaurs. It's a really unique combat system. Honestly, like between you, me, and all the listeners, like if you're a gamer and you have a PS4 and you haven't played Horizon Zero Dawn, go pick it up. It is honestly one of the best titles for the PS4 to ever come
0: out. I think you've also put a fourth leg on the stool because you've added robots into the equation. Right. They are
1: robots. And these robots all shoot lasers and guns and also then and you can mount some of them. Like This
0: stool is getting sturdier awesome. by the minute. That's amazing.
1: I need to know though, and I didn't send this to you because I wanted this moment to happen in our podcast. Okay. When you were doing your research. Did you come across the 2020 blockbuster film, Jurassic Thunder? No, this sounds familiar. Oh my God. Okay, I want to go back to the Battleship episode. What was the type of movie you said where it was like they produce it to trick like grandparents into buying it instead of the real movie? It's a
0: knockbuster. Okay, so this is a knockbuster. Or a, knock-
1: a So this is Jurassic Thunder. It's supposed to sound like it's in the
0: Jurassic Park, Jurassic World universe. All I can imagine right now is it's Jurassic Park meets Tropic Thunder. Like, that's all I have in my head right You're now. You're not super far <laughs> off. It's basically
1: there's a future zombie apocalypse. Sure. And the only way the military can defeat this zombie apocalypse is they figure out how to recreate dinosaurs mm-hmm. and strap guns to them. Yeah. And they just send the dinosaurs into the zombie wasteland to kill zombies. I mean, this is airtight logic. if I ever heard it? It's bananas. Good Lord. The last little thing I've got here, so we have Jurassic World, and then we have Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and the next film to come out is supposed to be Jurassic World Dominion. Mm. And the plot of this is that the dinosaurs have escaped way off the island. They're all over the place. Uh, And at the end of Fallen Kingdom, they're auctioning these dinosaurs off at a mansion to like militaries from around the world. Uh, And you might remember in Jurassic World, there's a guy from InGen who is trying to get the raptors trained for combat. And Chris Pratt's character is like, no, these aren't for combat. So there are some theories out there that Jurassic World Dominion could have these elements of weaponized dinosaurs in them.
0: I think militaries need to go round up all the mogwais, reproduce them, get them wet, feed them after midnight, and then they have a gremlin (laughs) army to stop these dinosaurs. (laughs) <laughs> see, no problem. No problem. Yeah. I Did you, by chance, when you're doing
1: research, did you take a little gander at eBay? I did not. So I, I, I took a little stroll down eBay to just see what dino riders go for.
0: Yeah, tell me about the Diplodocus, the T-Rex, and the now-canon Brontosaurus. And so I was just curious what these kind of toys went
1: for today, being that the, the special expansion pack or whatever that came out from Mattel was like $19. Right. So the T-Rex, what would you guess like in good condition but out of the box. No box, okay condition, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Uh
0: 120. $850. It's a little off. So that's not mint, not That's mint. not in package. That is gently used. Okay, wow. Same thing, out of package, gently used, the biggest Dino rider
1: toy in the collection, the Brontosaurus. What do you think that's going for on eBay?
0: I'm going to ratchet this up a bit and say 1500. That is right on the money. Wow. $1,500 for the Brontosaurus. Wow.
1: Which if this is what's going on, I just have to wait like 10 more years and I can retire on my Jurassic Park toy collection. Right. That's what Dino Riders is pulling off right now. That's amazing. And everything else, like all the small toys to like the medium sized toys are all like roughly like 40 bucks to like 150 bucks. But it's really those massive like mechanized, they move like those are some serious
0: money out there. You just have to imagine they didn't make too many of them because they were so expensive. Like, I remember all of these massive playsets that, sure, I wanted, but my family didn't have the money to get them, you know, whether it was Lego or G.I. Joe or, you know, Dino Riders. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about some of the ridiculousness of the plot of the cartoon. I want to ask you, what would a
1: Dino Riders movie be?
0: How would that work? See, that's just the thing. I, I just, I don't see how this is a viable property to bring back. I don't know especially if it's live action like there's again we said the the rulons are all of these different factions of reptiles and insects and so are all the bad guys just cgi and this is just going to be another green screen movie where you have a couple of human actors running around on a green screen not super interested in those kinds of things so i just i don't see how it would work i mean there'd be a nostalgia factor be kind of fun the concept's
3: kind of who's cool. nostalgia?
0: We've already suggested. Nobody knows it. Mo- nobody nobody knows remembers. It. It's nobody not, remembers. not like this well-known property that everyone's dying right. to have come back. That's why I'm even shocked it even got that far to be like in consideration.
1: For sure. I think it would just be too bonkers to try and pull off now. So uh, Dino Riders spent 14 episodes balancing the scales, going back and forth, trying to be like, who would win? Rulans, Valorians? It's time for us to go to meth class and decide mm. what wins. This holding up or this not holding up?
0: All right, let's get there.
1: Step by step, day by day, day by day. Different Over. Yeah, I had to use my step to get here.
0: We'll make it better second time
1: <laughs> around. You, you always do a great job in math class of like summarizing how you feel about things. I want to ask you again a really hard question because I like ask. Sometimes I have ridiculous questions, but sometimes I have like. I want to try and be a little thoughtful. I want to be a little reflective here. All right. We chose this show because you and I have mentioned on several episodes this deregulation in the 80s and how that changed everything. Mm-hmm. And that there's many series that are just blatant selling to children TV shows trying to sell the toys. How do you feel morally, ethically about cartoon series being made solely to influence children
0: to buy stuff. We all wrestle with the fact that we live in a capitalist society. Everything we do, we're marketed to. You and I just tried to watch a quick clip of Dino Riders and we got several ads thrown Uh, in our face on YouTube, right?
1: So frustrating.
0: Like it or not, it's just the reality that we're in right now. And you know, everyone that we've talked to about this is like, I'm of two minds. On one hand, I'm so ticked off that this was blatant marketing to my young brain, but on the other hand, there's all these great toys and properties and cartoons and movies and books and everything that I would not have had had it not been for that. So it's always hard to say what would have come out had that not happened. It's a part of our life and a part of our culture, and you can't separate it. So I don't know what I have to say to really button it up. I, I'm not, yeah, I don't know.
1: No, I, and I don't think I have a different spin. I think I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I feel deeply against the manipulation of children. That feels very wrong. But just like you said, at the same time, like I loved my Ghostbuster action figures.
0: I've, I, lo- And our irresponsible parents are the reason right. that we soaked it all up. So blame the parents. <laughs> but as a kid, you loved
1: these cartoons. The toys yeah. were great. I have great memories playing with this stuff and watching it. So it is a double-edged sword where I hate why it came about, but I love what came out of it. For sure. It's hard.
0: Let's talk about the toys really quickly because I think this is an easy one. Yeah. Clearly they hold up if Brontosaurus is selling for $1,500 on eBay. I think we've already said they're very high quality toys. I would say not just for the time, but for now. They look amazing. They're really textured and detailed. I think those toys are just very solid. Do you feel any differently? I completely agree. I think the toys are
1: awesome. (laughs) I think the toys want to play. And it makes me me go back to, and I think I know the answer, but I like to just entertain the thought, that uh, maybe the toys could have stood on their own without a cartoon. And now I go back and I go, well, you know, the cartoon really helped sell the plot and sell the story, and so maybe not. But the toys are so cool, and I think the concept is so cool. If you let go of, like, all the plot holes and all the science that is messed up, like,
0: It's a great toy. And to that point, I don't know that I ever watched this cartoon. I may well have. I do not have any memory of it. But I can guarantee you if I was walking the toy aisles of Toys R Us or KB Toys or one of those places and I saw those, I'd probably stop because they were such good quality. And I'd be like, wow, these look great. So I was probably one of those kids who just wandered in the toy aisle and was like, I want that.
1: I think that's what happened with me too. I don't have a recollection of watching the show as a child, but I—I yeah. I bet when we were at the toy store. I was like, "Yo, there are cool-looking people riding dinosaurs and they're shooting stuff." Mom, dad, please! Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. So I—I I do posit the toys maybe could have stood on their own without the show. I think they're great toys. Yeah. So let's talk about the show.
0: Let's talk about the show.
1: The show does tackle a lot of interesting, deeper topics that I am shocked. Sort of like, you, sort of how you're shocked in contemporary culture of like how many things did spin off from Diner Riders. Right. I'm kind of shocked at the depth of some of the moral plot lines that are tackled. And again, like I said, the real finale, the real two parter, twelve and thirteen, are actually kind of good episodes. Like wrestling over the protosaurus and all the moral deceit going on is pretty good. I don't think it took off because it doesn't have a banging, sweet, kicking theme song. I think that would have helped a lot. You know, when you watch the show, not the Rulons, but the Valorians, the heroes, are all Western English-speaking white dudes. Mm -hmm. They all speak American English. And like you said, there's one woman in the whole group Mm -hmm. who's like the telepath. Maybe I don't know when that started with cartoons, but I think of like... I feel like there were a lot of cartoons when it wasn't about animals, when it was like people, they strove for diversity. The Captain Planet team, the Magic School Bus kids, you think of like Doug on Nickelodeon. It was all about trying to show a lot of diversity in children, not just in race, but in abilities. Like you mentioned Mind's Eye. Right. It did strike me that maybe that transition just hadn't happened yet in 88 to try and show that diversity to children of people of different backgrounds working together which made me actually kind of empathize with the Rulons because was like, look at this empire. They've brought together like five species to work together. Of course, their goal is conquest and destruction, but hey, they found a way to collaborate. <laughs> and the Vlorians just struck me as like, it was just really weird that it was all like, I think there is one African-American guy
0: on the team, but the rest is like white dudes. So I, I looked, Ben, and actually it, th- it looks like there's four characters of color in the show. Now, just one of them is... A main character. Uh, His name is Tag, and he leads a lot of the dinosaur training exercises. Mm. As a matter of fact, Ben, he's the one who's writing on your favorite headbutting dinosaur. Yeah, the Pachycephalosaurus. So good. Yeah, the one that's like smashing into the canyon (laughs) wall and knocking everything down. And yeah, how dare
2: you, dino
0: Riders? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he also has kind of a feature episode called Cleverly Tag. Uh,
1: I get it because his name,
0: ah, Tag. Okay. And that's the one, I don't know if you remember, where like the Rulons are tunneling underground and Tag. He's like, hmm, I think there's something funny going on here. Mm. And so, yeah, uh, so that was Tag. And then it looks like three of the commandos are probably people of color. Astra is the lead commando. Bomba is the explosives expert. And then Glide, uh, he's the recon guy. Do you remember the guy who's like, I got to be on the air? Like he hated being on the ground. Yeah, Yeah, that was that dude. But again, the commandos really only get one big episode. Well, and
1: that's kind of interesting. Like, in the, and then that episode comes in late in the season. So I wonder if, like, someone else pointed this out. So they shoehorn these guys in uh, to,
0: like, one episode. <laughs> Maybe that's why the commandos show up suddenly. I mean, I think what you're getting at, too, is this is a part of a bigger issue that most of these characters are white dudes. There's only one woman, there's one kid, there's one elderly guy, and then you just have like a handful of people of color. So it's not a super representative show by any stretch.
1: No. And scientifically, how is this population going to sustain itself if they don't get back to Valorian? It's just like the Smurfs. It's It's, just like the Smurfs. It's just like the Smurfs. (laughs) (laughs) So generally speaking for the show, I can't say the show holds up by modern standards. It's not terrible. It tackles some interesting moral questions, some good education for children about moral compass and challenges in life. But, like the quality of the animation, the music, and just the oddity of the lack of diversity just don't really hold up by modern children's programming.
0: I feel pretty similarly. Like I said, there's a surprisingly decent quality to the story mythology. I thought what was really interesting was that there were a lot of specific roles. Like, one person's a healer. There's a guy who's a statistician, for crying out loud. He's got, like, a staff. <laughs> oh, right. I think his name is Icon. It's like a 50% chance of this working.
1: Yeah, like he they, have a, like they that. have a
0: mathematician. Right. That's all he does. Like, that is his role, he's a mathematician. And one guy's a general contractor, like, basically <laughs> figuring out how to, like, build a base that is sustainable and that yeah. can protect defensively. And so the fact that they had these, like, specializations and roles that you don't normally see in cartoons I found kind of surprising. And then also the fact that they were trying to educate viewers about dinosaur species and what they were and how they functioned or what kind of dinosaur they were. I thought that was impressive too. But then on the other hand, like I said, it's cheesy. It's a stock set of characters. The Rulons are just very flat and they're just across the board objectionable, which is typical, right? Decepticon, same thing. Those bad guys are usually just like flat stock villains. They're all bad. There's no shades of gray necessarily. So that was frustrating, but again, that continues to this day. This show, I think, did nothing amazing, and it did a few things kind of well, and so I give it a pass. I think that's fair. Okay, so we wanted to give Gerald the last word on how these toys and the cartoon hold up, and here's what he had to say.
3: So for starters, the toys have always been and probably will always be awesome. If you look at the toys... I don't think any kid is ever going to look at that and just go, I don't want that. Dinosaurs with weapons and people riding on them will always be cool. If you took the toys as they were then and re-released them now exactly as they are, with the same packaging, the same beautiful box art that it came with, um, I'm pretty sure that people would buy it. Any child would just look at that in their imaginations would immediately just start juicing, right? They go, oh, I don't even need a story. I don't even know who the good guys or the bad guys are. I'm just going to start playing with dinosaurs and people riding on dinosaurs. As for the show, I actually think that this is right for a revival. And I would watch at least two to five episodes of this if they did a limited run on Hulu. How they would do it, kind of up for debate, um, whether it would be live action versus animated. With scary dinosaurs, or would be campy, or highly or highly realistic, or whatever. The 80s version does come across as being dated, so it very clearly knocks off of both Star Trek and Star Wars. The racial dynamics are a little bit dated, so you know, just thinking about why are the good guys, you know, all humans, um, versus the bad guys are all aliens, and not just aliens, but they're like this mutated race of humanoid, but with like a snake or like a hammerhead shark or like this ant person being led by a lizard of indeterminate species that always has to wear a bubble over his head. You know, they're going to have to probably answer some of those questions or at least have an idea for like how we would address that because, you know, people today are going to talk about that. That being said, though, for any Hollywood producer that is just trying to mine the depths of 80s pop culture for the next big idea to put on screen. This should be at least near the mid-top of somebody's list, right? So there's a franchising tie-in and everything. It's pretty much ready to go. And I do think if they re-released it now, it'll make some money, I think.
1: So I know we said last word, but there's like a two, just two comments I want to riff on what he said because <laughs> because it's, it's good. He makes some really good points there.
0: Go for it. go go.
1: So one, you know, we, we talked about sort of the, the racial elements that are a bit dated in in right. Dino writers, but he brings up a really good point that the good guys are humans and the bad guys are aliens, which has sort of this underlying
0: implication of xenophobia. It's an us versus them for sure. It just drives that wedge even further, yeah. right?
1: And we've we've already you know talked about how that looks, but I think he puts a new angle on it where like the good guys are these largely white, largely mm-hmm. male dudes, and the bad guys are anyone else that looks mm-hmm. different from them, right? And who knows? We only get the backstory of when the Rulans attack Valoria. What happened before that? Did the Valorians do something horrific? Like, was there a Valorian genocide on the Rulons, and now they're just trying to get some land back? Like, I mean, we only heard the story from the Valorian side. Exactly! There's a lot of story Mm -hmm. left to tell. Bias. 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 But he makes a really good point. I also love, I 100% agree, and I think it's really prescient that he says, like, if Mattel just re-released these toys in the original boxing, with the original Mm -hmm. art, today... They would sell, like, hotcakes. And we have proof that it would. So, like, we know Ghostbusters Afterlife is coming out, directed by Harold Ramis' son. All the original Ghostbusters are going to make cameos in it. There's, like, a lot of—the guy, the main uh, kid from um, Stranger Things is in it. Like, there's a lot of hype around this. And so, Kenner started re-releasing the original The Real Ghostbusters toy line. So, like, the original Ghostbusters came out. Ecto-1 got re-released. The original, like, Monsters and Ghosts came out those things went, and I don't know how I would know this. Who would know? I probably had to ask around. I don't know how I know this, but those things sold out online in like a minute when they were open for pre-order.
0: Well, you made the point $1,500 for that Brontosaurus. There's still a market out there for people to buy these things for top dollar. So, you know. Totally. So I think
1: Mattel would be very wise. I think like timing, like when Jurassic World Dominion comes out, and there's another wave of kids into dinosaurs, if they like Mm. sailed on the back of that wave and were like, hey, here's all the Dino Riders out again, it would be like a Scrooge McDuck bank vault of money they'd have to swim
0: through. You know, he does kind of make a good point. You do have a franchise pretty much ready to go. I know I sort of wrote off the idea that it would be a possibility. I'm still not 100% convinced, but to his point, if you want to revive the franchise, you have other pieces there. You don't have to really mess too much with them, like you said, The Golden Stool. People riding dinosaurs with laser beams. Yes! All right, I'm a convert. Sign me up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, like the big penultimate moment in every single Dino Riders episode, everything's going along as expected. And then a big reveal. Mm. Some new big surprise comes out that changes the game. Yes. Christopher.
2: Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just like my surprise of walking down a Toys R Us aisle and there's a new dino rider figure out on the shelf. Yes. What is the new exciting surprise for the
0: topic for next week on 80s High? So Ben, spring is in full force, <laughs> my allergies can confirm. Look, it may have snowed back in Ohio this week and it did. Yeah, that's crazy. What? But here in the Pacific Northwest, it's been cloudless skies and warm sunshine. In fact, you and I did a really nice hike couple weekends ago. Unfettered views of Mount Rainier it was amazing. Oh, it was gorgeous. And as we venture outdoors, we all know that animal encounters are more likely to occur, right? <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> Nature is indeed a flutter. And so this got me thinking of the kinds of animal encounters we might have right here in the Pacific Northwest. Now, while we may not run into Ben's favorite dinosaurs like oh. this week, I think we very well could bump into another one of your favorite animals while hiking the alpine wilderness. Oh my God, what are you going to do? So next week, let's follow in the big footsteps of the elusive, furry, woodland creature. That's right, the source of unending speculation of cryptozoologists the world over. As we join the Henderson family and their gentle giant house guest, Harry.
1: I love this movie. Oh my god, I love it. This is such a great pick.
0: Oh my god, yeah. Oh, great. Oh, for sure. Okay, so buckle up, everyone. Get into the station wagon, because we'll be rewatching the 1987 classic movie Harry and the Hendersons, and we're going to be jazzed to talk about it next time on 80s High. Thanks, everyone, for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com, with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts that help spread the rumor. Stay radical.